You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to another episode of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And this week's show, we have another legend. He is who many refer to as the greatest shooter to ever come out of England, Sam Stiller. He had a 20-year pro career, um, not just in the BBL, but also uh, spending time in Israel and also representing the England senior men. So a legend of the game and someone who I had great enjoyment speaking to. I must say, though, that I didn't have a lot of time to prep for this one. He was in the country for a limited period of time, and I didn't get to do as much in-depth research as I normally do. So I did feel I personally got a little bit lost at times, um, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Anyway, uh, before we do get into the show, a quick mention for our Patreon account. If you appreciate and value the work that we do, please consider supporting us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com forward slash hootfix, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash hootfix, there you can sign up to give as much or as little as you'd like every single month to help us continue doing the work that we're doing and help our contributions to the British basketball media landscape, please go check it out, patreon.com forward slash hootfix. We are now over 50 supporters deep, and we're looking for more of you so we can go full-time and continue to blow this thing up. Final thing, uh, obviously feedback, as always, I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, Drop me an email, sam at hootfix.com, or you can reach me on every single social media profile at Hoopsfix. Um, if you're listening on iTunes, please do take a quick second to give us a rating and review. It goes a long way in helping us spread the podcast far and wide. And I think that's all I have to say. So here is this week's episode with me and Sam Stiller. Sam, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> this could get interesting. Um, yeah, so obviously, you know, I've wanted to have you have you here for a while. And uh, to my surprise, when when, when I messaged you, um, you said you were living in Israel. So I guess that's a, a, an almost a easy place to start. Um, what brings you to Israel? How, how come you live in Israel and, and why are you back in, in the UK at the moment? Yeah, um, during the 1990-91 campaign with Kingston, um, we played Maccabi Tel Aviv and we played um, several top European teams. And um, having a Jewish name, Stiller, I think Ben Stiller, um, several agents contacted me and said, would I be interested in going to play in Israel? So that's um, how I ended up there. I went there, went for some tryouts, ended up playing division. You weren't allowed as an import, as a Jewish player, to play straight into the first division. So I had to play in a lower division for two years. Um, and then I was practicing with division one teams. And then I stayed there. So that's, I met an Israeli girl, got married and um, had kids. So I got two, um, two boys, Tal and Yali. And um, after my dad passed away here, I was kind of lonely and I thought, you know, I want to be dad for a while and play my role and decided to go back and uh, live there for a bit. So how how many years have you been there, sort of based there now? Well, I've been back there now two years. Um, I'm actually looking to come back now. I've had enough of them. (laughs) Uh, It's not an easy country. It's um, quite, uh, they're quite headstrong people and... um, uh, you know it, that gets the best of them a lot of times, and um, but I thought you know I just want to be back there with the kids, and um, so two years, but on and off, you know, since 1992 up to 96, came back for a bit. I think I played with Vince, played for uh, came back and played for Hemel for one year, um, 
and then um, back out there again. And it was on and off. I've been constantly one year and number, but I've got to the point where I've had enough, and it's time to come back and get into some coaching. That's really what I want to do. Yeah, I was going to ask: is is that, is that what you've been spending your time doing? You know, I had a look at um, your basketball CV that, that you sent over, and mm. um, you know, I saw in there that that you'd done obviously. We know that you've done coaching here in England, mm. but but also you've been doing a bit of coaching there. Yeah. Um. You know, how, how's that been? The other thing, actually, one of the specific things I wanted to ask was that uh, I also noticed you've got a coaching qualification in Israel yes. as well. Obviously, you've got your English license level three. Yeah. Uh, and you've got an Israeli one as well. So, it's, so yeah, how's that um, coaching over there? And kind of, uh, interestingly, how does the qualification differ between... I just had to submit my level three and show, and they have a look at that, and then see if it's sort of on par with what uh, they do, and which it is. And um, they had someone come down to assess me on a couple of sessions, and it was fine. They just passed me as an advanced coach there as well. So okay, so so you're trying to make a transition to full time coaching now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, like you know, obviously I do want to focus, I guess, on on the playing days. You know, I think. Mm. Uh, I did say to you before we started recording that it's, these interviews are really hard for me because uh, but it was before my time yeah. and I can't just Google and find all the information that I want to sure. um, to give me context. So you're going to have to excuse my ignorance uh, on certain things for sure. Um, but the thing that consistently comes up, uh, and I guess when I first heard of you, when I was kind of covering the sport, um, it's just your shooting. You know, mm. It was always like, greatest shooter, great, greatest British shooter, um, you know, greatest shooter to ever come out of, come out of England. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I'd love to ask you kind of, you know, how you would describe your game back in the day um, and what would you say about if you were describing kind of how you were as a player? Assessing. I would, you know, even now if I got onto the court and I still think, I went to the game the other day, Royals, and I actually thought, I, I still think I could be able, I could be productive and shoot. I mean, whoever I was going up against, I, 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 may, I put the work in though. Sam, I put, I put a lot of work into it and hours, six to eight hours a day I put in. I mean, that's time. Um, and I felt confident wherever I was. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, shooting was a three-point shot before before the line came in. When it came in, my, my eyes lit up. Yeah, the uh, that's the other thing that people, uh, the word that people will always use to describe is a gym rat. You know, mm. wh- where do you think the work, work ethic comes from? Um, Probably my dad. My dad was a bodybuilder, and that's, that was his life. He's from Egypt, and uh, he was even up to the day when he had a stroke. Was um, I think that day he was taking a day off, but all the way through he was up to eighty. Eighty-two. He was constantly. And if you look there, there's my basketball. I'll be going to the gym just to shoot because it's I'm a, it's an addiction, and it's a buzz that I still get when I step on the floor but um, I think I've got that from a dad I was going to say that yeah you did you did show up with a basketball and uh, <laughs> you know I know that you still you still work out and stuff mm. um, do you ever see yourself stopping? no 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 I can't it's a love it's a love that I just can't let go of it's my first that's what's probably caused the problem in my marriage <laughs> did you have conversations about that was, was there arguments about like uh you know why are you always playing basketball or, actually no she was good she was good with that she just she, she knew who i was when she stepped in so yeah but um you know she knows my love was there's nothing gonna step in between that and uh, that was fine yeah so going back to the start um how did you you how did you first start playing basketball well i've got a mixed race sister paula 
um, who was very, what's the word, um, very good looking, very flamboyant, if you like. Um, she met the Harlem Globetrotters when I was nine, met Curly Neal. And this is some of the original, Marcus Haynes, Curly Neal, Medlark Lemon. So I was in primary school, Paddington Green, and um, you know, I got invited to go along to Wembley Empire Pool to see the Globetrotters. And um, well, as soon as I saw them, I wanted to be the first white Harlem Globetrotter. So, I mean, I used to go into the changing room at half time with them, and they used to, you know, show me tricks with a ball sign. I had a ball signed by them, wore it out. I don't know what you've been worth a fortune now. Um, uh, programs and sweatbands and stuff and I used to take people from school because he said yeah just call me they used to stay at the Holiday Inn Marble Arch and I used to call them up and I'd say Nate um, can I get two tickets for tonight and he used to take all I even I used to I said Humph do you want to go along to Humph and, and, and Lenny Hoy back then was a big name for basketball under 19s um, stay facing the mic just yeah, yeah. and um Anyway, but um, they said, "Oh, it's not, it's not real basketball." And I was, for me, it was real basketball, you know. So I learned the tricks early on, spinning in a ball and ball handling very quick. And while everyone was playing football in the playground, I was on the netball hoop and I was practicing then, going back a long way. So how old were you at this at this point? Nineteen. You were nineteen. Yeah. And then yeah. what was your progression from there? Like, how did you get? Well, into I went to Quinton Keniston, same school as Junior. Um, and we had two England internationals, Fred Monday and Stavros Elias, and they were big boys. Fred was also a rugby player, about 6'10", uh, and Stavros was about 6'7", and uh, his brother was in the year above me, um, Alkis, so we had a pretty good team. That's another story I'll go on when we beat Joe Moore's team, went to the London final. But um, Joel will probably dispute it. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, where was I? I've lost. lost You're just saying that you were at Quinton Coniston uh, with Junior. So I progressed from there. So I had Stavros, I had someone to yeah. look up to, and, and my, you know, I would be in the gym. Uh, the, the main gym for me was at school, obviously, but the YMCA Tottenham Court Road. And uh, I used to take a lot of stick for the YMCA, but uh, it was it was always a basket for me to, to to put some shots up, and I'd be the the last one they'd kick off the court at ten ten thirty at night back then. Yeah. Did it cost you to play? Um, you could yeah, just rock in. You know, you had to get membership. I got junior membership, but um, I actually still see people to this day that remember me that've been long-standing and know my dad because my dad used to go to that gym as well. And said, so ask him because he had several names. Some people called him Rudy, some called him Riri, and he said, ah, you know, and I let him know that he's gone now. I thought, wow, but I remember you on this court years and years ago. He said, wow, you know. So uh, yeah, it's a place that I always gravitate towards because I know I can take, get, get on a court any time. It's not like, it's difficult to find that in London, especially back then. That court doesn't exist anymore, does it? Yeah, um, the full court one, the full court I don't think exists yeah. now, uh, where the London Mets used to play, yeah. the old BBL, whatever league it was back then. Um, I don't think that's, but there's there's a side, there's a side basket on, on the wall. They used to have two, they've moved it around now to one. Oh, there is. Yeah, I yeah. didn't realise. Oh, yeah. Everyone always brings up that court. It's kind of it seems to be mm. sort of cemented in the the the, the history books of, of, of British basketball. Oh, yeah. um, but I didn't realise there was actually still a hoop there. Maybe I need to go down there's, there. There's still a hoop. There's wow. still a hoop. <laughs> so when, when you come back now, where do you work out? 
That's it. Oh, you still work there, out there? I remember. I've got, I've got my membership there. And I'm going after this. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Right. I'm going there. Wow. I might go. Sometimes I go twice if I'm bored. Uh, I've got my friend I'm going to see in the evening today, but I might go for a couple of hours and then I'll leave and go off and whatever and I come back again to put another hour in. Yeah. So, so, uh, so okay. So, you, you know, you're a gym rat. You're, you're working out there every day until, until late at night getting yeah. kids off the court. Um, playing, playing for your school, obviously. Playing for the school team, yeah. Uh, what was the situation with sort of junior national league basketball and uh you know what was your first foray into playing well, sort of i guess I, formally organized ball at the age of 14 um Leighton, there was two two main t junior teams in london it was avenue and it was palace those were the two with roy packham and uh, we had lenny hoy and humph long and there was another fella called lee scott who was apparently a legend. And you know the famous Mannheim tournament? I think he he equaled the top score. Along. This is when Magic was going to that, uh, Magic Johnson. But I think he equaled the top scoring record with Kent Benson, who was a former NBA guy. I don't know if he played with the Milwaukee Bucks. But um, he came, he had, um, what's that disease? It just deteriorates the muscles. Muscular uh, dystrophy. Yeah, it was terrible. And... Um, and he be, they let him be coach. He coached a team. So I decided at 13.40, first of all, I met Lenny Hoy. I, I used to come over, all the way over to Leighton. I think I was living in Swiss Cottage then. On my own. <laughs> I used to travel right across London, go to um, the sports centre, work out there. He put my name forward to Humphlong. And I was, I was fortunate enough to play in the Man on Tournament. They said I was the youngest player to be selected for the under-19s. I was 15 at the time. And I went to Mannheim at 15. I got pictures from me. It was funny. But long hair. Well, I used to have really long hair. <laughs> and um, so that was, um, yeah. So from under 15s, then it was progressed on to under 17. So you were playing England at, you were playing England already at 15 years old. Was that your first England? 15. That was your first international yeah, call-up? Yeah, exactly. And were you, did you play and contribute in that tournament? I did, yeah. Okay. Yeah, a lot. There was some real big names. Adrian Branch. There was some... I'm not. I'm getting fixed. Actually, my, that might have been a second. But there was a the, the American All Star McDonald's team they used to invite, and Sabonis was on the Russian team that year. We played. Humphreys used to say to me, "You remember the final, Sam? Russia against U USA in American Marine Band. All the Marines were going absolutely potty. You can imagine because back then, you know, the Russian and the USSR was, you know." at each other's throats and um, they were killing they were beating the american team easy and suddenly because these this the coach saw that everyone was there was going to be a riot there almost he just backed out and went just into a passive zone it was almost like he threw the game they could have had a game and he said and humped i won't say to this day but until when i recently i, I was I, you always brought that story up do you remember when they threw the game and they gave it to the, the us eighteen? Wow. and i said wow yeah but we played that russian team that year I think Savant's bonus, and there were several big names that were playing there. We lost by 69. Oh, wow. Joe, Joe White was on that team. He was, he was uh, that was the, when I was 15, when I played on that. And um, Alex Pangreo, there was a, somebody, I can't remember all the names. George Branch, I think, was a guard there from, from Birmingham. But um, How did you personally do in that tournament? Uh, I can't even remember. Not very well. Yeah. Not very well. Yeah, it was. Was that your first experience? Lenny Hoy fell out with with EVBA if because of uh, which was the association at that yeah, point yeah training facilities and times that we got to practice you know we just had nothing suddenly a tournament would come up maybe get a weekend and off you had to go 
Whereas, you know, he would find out, he would find out what this team was doing, that team, and they were practicing constantly, you know, building up to a tournament. And um, was that your first experience of international basketball? It was, yeah, yeah. Do you remember your sort of reaction to it? Like, was it noticed to be faster oh, well, or quicker? Or no, like? I mean, you're playing with some. It's amazing because the crowds are big there. It's a you know Albert Schweitzer tournament, and it's known for have the best junior teams. Yeah, still to know. this day, it's, yeah, is yeah, it? It's yeah. Pretty famous, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, so England under 18s got an invite. It was a few years ago, and it, yeah. it was a big deal. Um, yeah. Obviously, they haven't been back since, but... Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, to, just to play in a, with a crowd like that, you've almost said, well, I've reached, I've reached that level, you know, and then you're trying to emulate, watch, just come watching the Americans. There was a guard, I remember, back then, called Eric Turner. I don't know what ever happened to him, but he was the star of that tournament. He was throwing hook passes. He'd, he was almost reminded me of Alton a little bit, who, by the way, is the best point guard I've ever played with, Alton Bird. Um, and you know he'd, he'd come off a screen and suddenly throw a hook pass, chase to a guy alley oop dunk. You know, I mean, Nigel McGill played NBA and Adrian Branch Lakers. They just had an unbelievable team. So um, how how were you discovered by you know? So you're 15 playing for the under 19 squad. Like, mm. what was the process back then for national team selection? You know, um, yeah. How how do they find out about you? Well. Um, you know, you they obviously look at numbers. You're scoring well and, and doing well in the junior team. Um, what were you doing for the junior teams? Like in, when you know when you're talking about performances that you were putting in. Then I was probably averaging back then probably about between twenty and thirty. I wouldn't know somewhere around there again. But I was hitting a lot of. Uh, I don't even the three point line wasn't even in. But I was a lot known as a long range shooter. Yeah. Um, and uh, I could pass a bit as well. You know, I used to like um, making the assists. That was from Harlem Globetrot, the flamboyant stuff. I used to love coming down and putting the ball back through my legs to scan. So he used to come in and flush everything because he was such an athlete, Pete. And Richard's a good player too, but I don't think, you know, he's, he was different. Um, but playing with Pete was, it made game easier because I knew I could throw, you know, I could throw it out a little bit. He could still catch it and dunk it and, um, and we used to love that. We used to feed off each other because um, Peter was, uh, you know, he was special. Yeah. Uh, one of the things Dunning said was that you were, you were the white chocolate before the white chocolate uh, before Jason Williams. You know, you had a lot of, you know, flash to your game and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming, obviously, that was from 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 the Globetrotters. Yeah. Um, Showboating. I mean, I used to love it. I used, used to love to entertain, and that's what people come to the game as well. They want like to be entertained and. You know, if I can fake a pass behind my back and put it through my legs and carry it on with one hand or in the last second throw it to a trailer for a dunk, you know, that would get everyone up on their feet. We need to dig yeah. up the video footage, man. Like, this is the stuff that is just gold that we just, uh, we don't have. It's it's yeah. such a shame. The one um, the one thing I do remember is uh, FanFest. I think it was in 2011, which is, uh, unfortunately, it hasn't happened in recent years, but Luke Bowler's uh, tournament, uh, which would put legends against uh, oh, yeah, against yeah. the younger teams, and, yeah. and you're obviously sitting up for the legends, and you're on the break, and you went round the back through the legs Felix. for a layup. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's right. Yeah. So yeah, still have it to this day. So it was, yeah, uh, yeah it was good to see. So, so from the, so, you, so yeah, so you represented England uh, as a 15 year old with the under 19s. Mm. Um, kind of what was going on domestically? You know, you coming back here, and kind of what was your progression sort of from that from that well, point onwards? Um, I started to practice at around 18 with um, Brian Naismith, who's 
um, who uh, Mark Dunning brought up in his podcast, um, who ran the Guildford Pirates, we were called back then, that went on to become Bracknell. Um, and I started practicing with uh, Robin Jones, who just come uh, from the Portland Trailblazers, still got his ring with Bill, uh, Bill Walton, his backup center. He had the highest percentage, I've still not seen that record broken, of shooting percentage in the league. Everything was a dunk, 83%. Can wow. you imagine that? And still ended up down the bottom of the league. I mean, the league was, was competitive back then. I mean, the Americans were the real legit yeah. guys that they would get in. But um, um, with Robin Jones and uh, there was a McKinney, there was another corner shoot about six nine guy. But that was my progression on, and I learned obviously the game is a lot more physical. But uh, I felt comfortable. We were practicing at Guildford University, and um, I was with Kevin Hibbs because Kevin had um, had uh, the Guildford Juniors, and we progressed. And the, the the big game for the the junior team of our lives was, which I've got some really nice pictures of actually. Uh, you might have seen them on 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 my Facebook. It's one where I'm going over Junior Taylor laying it up. There's okay, a kid yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Um, so that was when Bucks and Joel and it was a real clash, and we beat them by a point to go through and play Birmingham, um, and win uh, at uh, it was in. Uh, Granby Halls, I think it was. In Leicester. Yeah, it was the Asda Cup final, Junior Cup final. I got MVP of that, and I was chuffed. So, so that was around, what, 82? I don't know if that was 82. I, I, I thought it was 79. I still oh, got the little, little cup earlier. somewhere. I think that was 79. Yeah, it really started to play with the men around 80, 80, 81. So you'd have been how old at that point? 18. 18. Yeah. So you didn't go to the States? Oh, I used to go to the States whenever I could. Well, I used to go to uh, Los Angeles mainly, and um, my sister had some friends there, and I used to go and stay in some rough areas, Crenshaw and Washington, downtown, like real Compton, real, you know, gunshots at night, helicopters and stuff. And Nate, who I used to stay with, he used to drive down. I could, I could only go as far downtown as the Hilton downtown, and then he would pick me up from there and drive me in the rest of the way. Was, they were, at first, I said, I can't go in on those buses. Literally, it looked like people were carrying guns underneath jackets. It got very scary for me. Um, and there were people looking at me strange, like this little white kid with a basketball. What's he doing in this area? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. the, but college, you didn't go to college? Didn't go to college. I was trying to find a way I could get to UCLA. Right. So they said, why don't you go two years at um, um, Santa Monica Junior High and you know Junior College? Why don't you go there first, prepare you, and then you go. And that was the plan. I did apply, and I was very much a, a homeboy. I had chances to go away, but, you know, I was uh, with mum and dad for a long time, and I was into my training, people I knew. I just had a set pattern. I mean, like Joel said, you you know, it's, it's quite lonely when you're away from home and yeah. what you know. And and sometimes you don't want to leave your name as well behind it. I'll, I'll give you an example about that. That was when Joel had the car crash in Portsmouth. Yeah. Danny Palmer called me up, would you come and play? And I went down to meet Mr. Deacon, who was running the football club and the basketball club. And I mean, he offered me £400 a week, which was some good money back then. You yeah. Know? And uh, because I had a starting five spot with Bracknell, I was set there. I was with the England team. I didn't want to give it up. 
So, you know, so that's how that kind of runs into each other. Did you find that um, at that age, between you and your peers, was the trying to get to the US to go to college the sort of the big thing that everyone was trying to do? Steve? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the best of us had dreams of NBA. Yeah. Steve, Joel, myself. And if you t- tell you anything different, that wouldn't be the truth because you are the best and you think you can take that to the next level. Uh, and that's why I used to gravitate summer times to LA. I mean, I played with some big, big names. So there was three, um, Norm Nixon, who was played at the Lakers, and I, it was six one. I actually got a good picture with me in it. But um, uh, Rocket Rod Foster, uh, even John McEnroe, who was on the used to come on the courts at, um, at the John Wooden Center. Um, and I used to just gravitate there and, and try and compete on that level and see if I could compete. I mean, I met Magic a few times. never got to play with Magic Johnson. I uh, just know him to wink. And uh, Kiki Vanderway, we, he used to shoot on one court and I used to be shooting on the other. And I was like, I'm not missing until he, I'm not missing. And he would be like, obviously he's competitive and he's a great long range. And we'd be like, swish, 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 <laughs> swish. And then, you know, one of us would miss. And, uh, and we look, yeah, I got you, I got you. But yeah, that's the competition I used to thrive on, that sort of stuff. Um, but just to see, um, Reggie Miller was another one because he was from UCLA. But uh, I found Reggie very, very big-headed. And Norm Nixon came to me once and he says, Sam, don't listen to a word. He says, when you're open, put your shirt up. And he kind of gave me confidence because the first week or two when I'm playing with all these NBA players, you know, I'm pretty scared. I'm like giving the ball up when they're shouting, and Reggie wants the ball all the time. You know, hey, give me the ball, yeah, 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 yeah. and pulling faces if you don't give it. But when he said that to me, he said, "You can shoot the ball. Don't worry. Don't think. Don't worry about him. He's a big headed. You know, put him in his place for me." And I saw that as like a father figure saying that to me. Go ahead and shoot the ball, and I started to relax and started to play. And uh, Paul Westhead was there because he was coaching that legendary team with Hank Gapers who had the heart attack. He was coaching uh, Loyola Marymount that year when they made the Sweet 16. So is this and still when you were 18, 19? No, no, that's a little bit late. That's before mid, mid-20s. I mid-20s? Saying. Yeah, back okay. and forth I was going every summer. I wouldn't even actually be able to... Well, the only way you could put a date on that was to look at that team that made the Sweet 16. Yeah, find out I did. I did have the Sports Illustrated article about them at one stage. So. And how, how did... When you were going up against you know, guys from the league or guys that were close to it or going to be going to it in the future. How did you find that you compared what you were able to compete? Yeah, like I said, once the nerves gone, I'm just playing. It's just about playing ball. I remember, I'll tell you a story here. Clyde Drexler coming down to dunk over me, right? Uh, he comes down with his, he's coming down to reverse it. So as he comes, I take it early. I take the ball early, right? And, uh, you know, oh, good take. And then he picks it up, jumps backwards about, you know, I don't know, 12 feet and just reverses it over me. I looked at John McEnroe, he looked at me and we just winked and give each other five and run down the floor. There's a story. But yeah, just the fact of being able to compete and put shots up over these guys, you know, I just, I always felt if I was given a chance and a lot of people, Americans have said that, if you're given a chance early and gone to college, I think I could have gone all the way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have regrets? Um, regrets in sometimes I think, oh, you know, I think I could have done that. It was the time for me to go and, um, yeah, some regrets. 
Yeah. Yeah. So if you were to give advice to your younger self, what, what would you have said? Would you have said, "Got it"? Yeah. Go get... and stick it out, no matter where, and you'll make you'll find a way. Yeah. Mm. So in in terms of the names of the people that you you went up against, like even you know having um having Joel here, and you know the thing that he he said which blew my mind was just you know he played against Petrovic and and kind of how that was and mm. how good he was and stuff like you know obviously you've just given us Kai Drexler who mm. I think most people w- would have heard of. Mm. Um, when you talk about sort of the people that you went up against, whether it was in the scrimmages in, in the States or, or, you know, back here, like who are the names that stick out? Are there any sort of crazy stories or, or, or big uh, big stars that we all, we all know of? Um, Steve Bontrager. It was always a battle because we'd go back and forth. He'd drop the three and I thought, oh, I'm going to do the same to you, mate. Come back down, I'll hit a three. So we just had some big battles. Um, uh, I've always said like Ian Alton Bird was probably the best point guard ever to play over here. I mean, he could, he could literally control a game um, with his passing and knowing what play to run. Very intelligent and could take it to the basket over some really big boys. I mean, I remember going up against Olsi Perry and there's a famous picture of him. And Olsi Perry's about seven foot with long, long arms and he's just shielding the ball and lay, laying it up. You've got Russ Saunders, you've got... Um, Russ was always a scorer. I think he was out of New Mexico. Um, Sam Smith, uh, UNLV. I'm still in touch with Sam and um, with Facebook. Um, but uh, actually, I heard Steve. Nama told me that Steve Bontrager wanted to get in touch with me. He's now a shooting doctor. He, he works with NBA players and top college players. And um, but um, I got his number, but I was in Israel, so I haven't called him yet. I haven't. Uh, have you thought about going down the shooting coach route? Yeah, I have. Um, I do do a bit of that anyway. You know, I mean, my son was the biggest. I mean, he's a he was much better than me at when he's forty. He's sixteen now. He's given up for about seven, eight months. He's given up the game. I mean, everyone is chasing the kid. I mean, we used to shoot a thousand a day, um, threes and twos, threes and twos, and then we do stuff off the dribble. That's before, yeah. I mean, before we do stuff off the dribble. I mean, so talented, but he's not carrying a passion. And that's got to come from him in the end of the day. And I'm still trying to get him. He's now, the one part that was lacking from his game was his strength and fitness. And now he's he's going to the beach every day, he's pull-ups, push-ups, but he's got all that now. I said, Tally, now you've got it. You've got the physical side. Just put the skill work in. I'll help you with it when I come back. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get him registered for the the little Deng uh, thing this, Deng this summer yeah. because I spoke to Steve like I said can you get any he's a bit young give him another year which will be now this coming August and I'm trying to get him to understand that there's different options he can do you know he's pretty yeah. talented he's, he's ball handling he's doing I mean he's really really good but he's got a British passport yeah yeah, exactly. That's why I said the doors so you, open. Uh, do you, is he of national not, team he's level? He's not academic, he, but he loves. Um, we, now he's mixing beats. He thinks he's Dr. Dre. He's mixing beats on the computer, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I've got this." Well, I've got a friend who's who's putting up these beats for this guy in New York. I'm like, "Tell, they're just going to strip you of your beats. That's what they want. Don't, don't do it." Yeah. I said, go with your strengths, whatever it is. If whatever, I don't mind if, you, but go with your strength. That's what you, you know, you know where your strengths are. Uh, it's like I don't know. I think maybe he's got a lot to stand. He knows about my past. Maybe it's a bit much for him trying to compete. Yeah, or, you know, wants to go his own route. Yeah, that's the thing. Ultimately, like with any with any young player, they've got to want to do it. They've got yeah, to love it. They've you know? got to want like, it. Yeah. The thing is, when he's in it, he does. 
Yeah. And you know, and I say, where are you going? He goes, oh, I'm going out to shoot. Like after we've just shot a thousand, you know, or and he and he gets that, and but since it's sporadic, it's yeah. not consistent. Yeah, I was going to mm. say the, uh, you know, obviously you, I did see you at the London Lions, uh, London City Royals derby, mm. um, at the cough box on Tuesday night. Yeah. Um, as a spectator, you know, what were your thoughts on that? Like, what were your thoughts of sort of the the BBL today? Um. Personally, I'm going to be biased and obviously say it was stronger when I played back in the day, as as most veterans would say. Because <laughs> I think it, I literally think it was. I think the caliber of Americans, um, I think the British talent has got better, definitely. Um, but maybe maybe it's on par. Maybe it's me being old. But um, it was a good game. Um, Royals had their chance. They had their chances in that game. Um, I don't think, it, you know, obviously the players have stood out in that final the week before, which I've actually watched. Um, didn't do what they did in that game. But um, I I won't go in. I, I would have coached it differently. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, I would, have coached, I would have coached it a little bit differently, not uh, coming from the Royal side. And do you, do you follow the BBL now? Um, not really. I don't really have time. I'm usually away. What I do is catch highlights on on YouTube, or you know, yeah. catch a bit of the game. Sometimes they they screen the whole game, but I'm, I haven't got anything that allows me to screen a whole game. Or, right. Yeah. Do so, you follow the NBA? Again, I've, I've, yeah, probably more. I've been following Boston. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I love Bradley. I'm obviously Kyrie is my. I mean, I love watching him. Yeah. I just do. I just light up when he plays. My, and my son as well. We just used to sit there and watch him. And then obviously Curry, and um, uh, <laughs> Curry was amazing. When you were younger, who were the players that you were looking up to that you were aspiring to be like? Um, Isaiah Thomas. Well, that was really. I used to collect all the the Detroit games, and Joe Dumas, and those were the guys I'd be really looking at. And how did you get the games? Like what? Uh, Any way I could. Jimmy Rogers. Um, I've, he's he's borrowed me games. I've I've still left. He's still got one of my <laughs> Bobby Knight. I don't know who, who's got it now. I'll have to get into one of my Bobby Knight um, DVDs on on zone offense. Um, but yeah, anyway, I could really. Um, I remember I used to sit in bed and listen to the American Forces Network. That's I used to Magic coming down the court, you know, with Chick Hearn. Magic coming down the right side, right side gets a screen from Cooper, pull up, good. I'll be like in bed going, yeah, wow, visualizing it, you know, and saying. So before there was even any of these videos, I was listening to the American Forces Network. That's how uh, it so it was still the NBA when you were coming up. You weren't looking to the, I mean, was it was it National League at that point? Was it the BBL at that point? It was still National League. It was right? National League. Yeah, because yeah. it was BBL, turned BBL in '86. Yeah. I always saw that as a second. Right, I was always that option. Yeah, I, I used to, or even a third because I was, thought maybe you're playing Europe. Yeah, you know, if I don't make NBA go Europe, it's still going to be good money there, and I'm sure a lot of English players and up and coming players think, well, they'll go for the NBA. If not, then they got and 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 there's money even in the English league now. Yeah, more than when I when I played for Bracknell. You know, I've, we I don't know how true this is. Brian Naismith, who was the the owner of the Guildford, um, what were we called? Pirates. Yeah. When I signed for Bracknell, which is the follow-on of Bracknell and Scans signed, we were the only we was two starting five English players at eighteen, and he said you were the most um, highest paid, and that was about twelve thousand pounds. We were both getting on the tour, twelve thousand something, or five hundred. 
pound, and uh, he said you're the two highest British paid players. Um, I don't know. Back well, then. what do you think? What do you think that that equivalates to? I don't think equivalents. Yeah. What is yeah. the equivalent? Twelve k in those days to to now. I would say about thirty grand probably. Okay. Yeah. That's still pretty. As an yeah, eighteen still, year old, oh, like. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, that's I mean, that's decent. I, I mean, tell you now, like, there's no eighteen year old no, in the BBL that's earning that yeah, much. It was a full time wage. It was, uh, you know, it was a full time wage, and um, you know, um, they had no sponsorships. Um, I didn't have any sponsorships back then. But um, so you you finished college and then and then signed pro mm. and you were full-time pro from the age of 18 yeah not doing anything else yeah. just basketball yeah. practicing every day that's it game a week yeah. two games a week yeah well, one or two depends some one year it was one a week then it went to wednesdays as well it yeah split to put the games up yeah that was um that was really um i mean one of the games where so what year did you turn pro what year would I it would have been? say about 1980 okay it could have been 79 1980 probably 81 then following think was the 82 83 or could have been 83 84 was when Danny Calandrillo another one of the top players that came out of Seton Hall if you look at his scoring uh, in the Big East on par with Patrick Ewing he was he was a 6-1 he was my Italian feisty guard that but he could score his first game right was against Sunderland at Bracknell and Sunderland had Art Waring and I've met Art Waring was in, in LA in the summer leagues played with him in, in one gym there. that's another thing when I broke my nose he was there um, someone headbutting me but um, <laughs> that's another story um, but the first game 58 points in the BBL game I think Art, Art Waring had 52 or something like that oh, it was phenomenal and um, Danny took us all that year we had Steve Keenan Tony Belogan and myself and Danny, we we got to the final fours at Wembley, the playoffs. Uh, who won it that year? Well, in your in your first season, that was. That wasn't my first season. Oh. Probably been second or third. Yeah. Okay. But having Danny come in showed that experience. Um, amazing. Um, I heard I heard that Danny was in the nine eleven um, disaster, which he stopped working for quite a while but now he's back i met someone who knows him yeah i've, I've been try always trying to get in touch with danny canager it's a long time yeah so how yeah. long were you playing in the national league the top league in this country what were you calling it about were you calling it you were referring yeah. to as the national league as a or premier league yeah. or yeah. what we call it um division one really just, oh you just called division one yeah which was the top league um, yeah how long good question 18 till about yeah, eighteen till about twenty-eight. Okay, so you did ten years before yeah, you went to Europe. Before I went to Israel, yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, might have been. Let me see, twenty-eight. No, it's been maybe twenty-nine. I was twenty-eight, and by the time I got to the following season, I would have been just turning twenty-nine. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. what, like, in terms of the land of the league, like you know, in those ten years that that you were in there, um, you know, what are your memories of it, kind of, how how was it as a as a as a job, mm. um, you know, as a spectator sport, you know. Uh, I mean, I mean, like some some of these guys have told you, it was on Channel Four. I think every Monday night, I think it was a Monday night. You know, we're playing basketball. <laughs> so if you look at some of those archives, that's what they used to play. And then Miles Aiken, I think, was doing the commentary, and then he'd have a guest that would come on. Oh, Simon Simon Reed, as well. Yeah. Um, so and then BBC used to cover it in parts, I think, as well as some certain finals. Um, 
yeah, it was it was lively. It was uh, we always it, it was the sport that was growing and it was going to become the the sport. You yeah, know? <clears throat> and then um, it backtracked a bit and went backwards. But um, I think what happened was it, it was starting to outgrow rugby, and then sponsorship came into rugby and basketball went back, you know, and it seemed to go the opposite way and rugby sort of went through the roof. It was always seen as obviously an American game. It was never seen as a British game. You speak to someone traditional who doesn't know anything much about, oh, that's an American game. Yeah, it still happens today. Yeah, I'm sure it still happens, yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, we had enough good, attractive players to make it uh, a very good sport. I mean, it was. I mean, if you speak to anyone from the, back in the 80s, Balverde and all, all those type of people, and, you, you know, they'll tell you. I mean, they, they will obviously... Well, I say obviously be biased, but uh, maybe there is a point in being biased. It was better back then. And mm. Did you feel like a professional sports star? Like if you were walking around yeah. the local area of the team that you're playing for, you know, were you getting recognised? Were you being asked for autographs? Like, or was it still I, quite under the radar? I, I, it's a bit under the radar. I get recognised in gyms I'd walk into. Um, yeah, when there's basketball people yeah, there. Basketball people there. Uh, but that still happens to this day, right? I think I in secondary school I was known because, oh, that's the guy that knows the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> I remember going to schools. Does this know one of the Harlem Globetrotters? You know? I remember before games, we used to play Clissel Park and they used to try and psych you out and put music on and, and Archbishop Michael Ramsey, some of the big secondary schools and stuff. And um, they all come to me and say that. So I was on show before the game started sort of thing and I had to back it up. It was almost, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I th you know, I'm sure I haven't seen a lot of the, the, the British game at the moment, and I've seen some, um, but I, I, I just don't feel, obviously with Kingston, when I was with Kingston uh, at a later date, and then going playing in Europe with 10,000 Russians clapping at the same time, all in u army uniform, just before Perestroika, before it collapsed. I remember going with the, um, Kingston. We arrived in Moscow. And we were all starving. KGB on our bus took us to McDonald's. It was the first McDonald's in in Russia, in in um, Moscow. And the line was literally, I would say, about a mile long down the road, even more. I mean, just, just a line of people. I felt real guilty. He just took us to the front, and in, in we went. You know, straight in to go and get something to eat, and all these people waiting outside. I actually felt really bad, but we're all hungry, so it didn't matter. <laughs> That's a story. Well, what year was that? The so the, the Kingston uh, so, year when you went was it was that late eighties, early nineties? Yeah, that was ninety one. Ninety one. Yeah, it was about ninety one. Yeah, which means if you, I'm trying to work out the years, so had you been to Israel and then come back when you no. played for Kingston? No, no you've been was, there the whole time. That was off the back. I went to to Israel because. Obviously, a player that played in the European leagues worth maybe okay. bringing to Israel, yeah. Okay. So I was off the back of that, but uh, that was a there was some games there. We beat Barcelona. I mean, we beat some real powerhouses, and we really felt that we could go to the final four. And that would have been something special that year. Uh, we ended up, I think, six. Yeah, because Leverkusen were below us, and I don't know if it was Scavellini. I mean, it was two that were below us. When you're talking about that team and kind of who were involved and kind of your memories of it, like yeah. you know, it is it is a team that uh, gets brought up a lot when you know when I'm talking about the history of of the game here. Um, you know that we had a team, a mm. domestic team in in Europe mm. that were 
well, you know, top eight. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, that's what, if I say that in Israel, people are like, then they start standing up saying, wow, you play with Maccabi Tel Aviv, Hugo Plastica, Barcelona, Real Madrid. So, yep, and we were competing with them well. So, you know. And so when you're talking about your memories and kind of why you didn't get to the final four, uh, kind of, yeah, well, recap it for us, recap the campaign. Yeah, um, well, I mean, it's, it's one, one home, one away. And, um, you know, we had too many, I mean, we, we had too many games that we lost by one, you know, real, oh, we could finally got that game and in that game we would have been, you know, fourth, fourth, fifth place, fourth place, you know, move up the table. But we couldn't really get, we kept winning well, nine points against Barcelona and then playing a rubbish team like Leverkusen, say rubbish, they're in the Euro, but, but the lower part of the team and then lose by two or whatever. One and um, we had too many inconsistencies. Um, Kevin Cadle was with us that year, and um, he was coaching. He was head coach. He was, yeah, he was a head coach, and uh, he used to put people in their place. I'll tell you, I could remember. I never forget Kev. He would just go along the go along like that. You ain't doing shit. I don't know about you. Excuse the language, but you ain't doing this. You ain't doing that shit. You ain't rebound. He just go along like that, but. The one thing with Kev, I think he was the best motivator. When he could get you, you know, he could just get that team charged to a point where we weren't going to lose. You know, he, he had that. That was one of the things that he had. He 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 talk about it. We'd always say a prayer, and I always I've always passed that on to teams that I, you know, I don't go and pray for a win. I pray we protect us from injury, take our family and friends. And I think it unites. He he united the team in different ways, and one of the things he always does was, was motivate us. But make no mistake, <laughs> he'd really like to call you out if you didn't, you know, get things done. Do you remember a particular occasion when you got particularly chewed out? Um, I can't re remember. He wasn't so bad with me, to be honest. Do you feel you were quite coachable? Um. To a point, yeah, yeah. To a point, I, so that, that you know, there were. Uh, I didn't like too much authority, you know. I like to be free a little bit. I didn't want to be put down under the thumb. Um, I think there's a certain type of coach that could could motivate me. Uh, Kevin was one. I think um, Tony Garbaletto, Mark Dunning at times, although we did knock heads a few times. Um, but Mark, you know, I think that that's a shame what's happened with Mark because I think he's generally from the heart. I think he's probably one of the best coaches around, and he's experienced, and he knows how to teach. And there's not many people that can do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there are some good good coaches around. So, so that that year with Kingston, going back to it, so so yeah. two legs. Uh, I'm assuming home and away. Was every game you were playing in front of? When you were in Europe, was it, how many people were you playing in front of? When you full out, I mean, it could be anywhere between nine and eighteen thousand. Really? Yeah. I and remember, then what about? I what? remember going to play against Aris Saloniki, Nick Gallis, the legend, with Yanakis, who became the national team coach. But he had this thing with his eyes when he used to come down the court. But going back to being in that state, first thing what happened was as soon as they greeted us at the airport, it was an intimidation game. You got like a tank armored vehicle with blue lights in front and one behind with, with guys on bikes escorting you. People know you're a team 
and they start doing giving you the two fingers along the road and swearing and you know at the hotel they tried to keep us up at night you know people were outside screaming and shouting and um but um when we got into the arena to play the game first of all you notice that there's a cloud of smoke well, you know there were smokers a cloud of smoke gathered in the middle of the court really like just weird looking but the hostility oh it's something that you know you, you wouldn't imagine the hostility the spitting throwing coins swear so they put us behind one of the baskets where the gymnasts area was so we could get away from people and be stretch out so that was intimidating to start with then once the game started full bottles of water on a bad call would become flying spraying around the table coins smashing off this perspex thing boom 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 oh man we and then when we went outside after the game we lost by i think 12 or 13 after the game uh they put a brick through our coach window oh wow yeah anyway we had a lot of fire when we had to play them at palace and you know what happened there matthew hits the game winner on the buzzer he's still on youtube you can look that one up um, yeah and um i mean the play was designed for me coming off a screen and i carried on curling and the young kid he just came in the game matthew cunningham he just stepped back and in the line of the part and he just took the ball and his first shot he just lets it go on the buzzer wins the game and we talk about that now. He lives in the States now. We still, from time to time, you know, talk about that. It was amazing. You see us all jumping up and down and just, and we, you know, it was like payback time. But they stopped that game at least four or five times with riot police with shields at Crystal Palace. At Crystal Palace? At Crystal Palace. Because of their travelling friends? Four or five times. It was because of their travelling fans? Yeah, well, people were throwing stuff at us nearby. So we had Trevor Gordon, Alan Cunningham, you know, big boys that were sitting down there. Suddenly, Martin gets up, Alan gets up, Lorenzo, everyone gets up. And then suddenly I see him going into the crowd. <laughs> and literally, and then the police got called and, um, you know, and they were with, there was dogs around. It was like a weird environment to play in. Literally, you know, they had they knew that they got troubled fans. Obviously, they had, must have had them, them uh, police waiting on. They had shields, guys with shields all around the court, you know. But at the end of the game, we had to run out of there. We got pelted with coins. We were running out of lighters and <laughs> drinks. It was funny. So how many fans were you playing in front of at home? At home, well, it was, I don't know how many you could fit in Palace, but there was, it was max. It was max. Whatever there was. It's yeah. got to be up to near 2,000. I mean, it was, it was people standing, I mean, everywhere. As much as people, as many people they could get in there. Yeah. Uh, some, good, some good games. Good memories. Yeah, good memories. Yeah. And then off the back of that, that's what then got you a look in Israel. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about leaving, obviously, what was comfortable, you know? The, the, the It was, you know, I had chances to go and do things before and go away and maybe play in Europe and do things. And I never really took them, never took it serious. And uh, I said, well, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. Might as well. And um, I remember going for my first tryout there and several coaches watching. I really, I didn't miss. I've always done well at tryouts. Um, tryouts have always brought the best out of me and um, done well. And I had several people, why don't you come and play here, play there? So I ended up playing in the north of Israel, a place called Safad in English. In Hebrew, it's called Sfat. It's, uh, 
it's quite a, it's become very religious that community but it's um it's a small town it was up in i was reading a lot of spiritual books back then as it was up in the mountains so it was appealing to me yeah. and i've always done that as part of my basketball tried to follow that spiritual side as well um and and i thought yeah let me go there uh, and for some some reason i went there and we won the league i had Pini Gershon, who was the Maccabi Tel Aviv, he's very big in Israel, calling me. I had Svika Scherf, who was also a legend, um, with, with Maccabi and with Hapo Tel Aviv, and saying, why don't I come and practice with one of their lower teams, because I have to play one more year, because my first year done really, really well. Um, and then play for the men's team after that. And, you know, I was offered a, a very good wage with um, Rishon Litsion, which is about 175,000 pounds for the season. No, for th it was over three seasons. It was over three seasons. That's why I turned it down. I said, no, no, I want to do one year, show what I can do like I did in the lower league. One year, and then I'll go for something bigger. But little did I know that in Israel it's very dodgy. Some teams pay, some pe teams don't pay. And I went to Hapol Haifa who folded halfway through the year. They weren't paying. Dennis, who was the American, Dennis Williams, who's a big player, I think he went to Georgia Tech. He made out his, he, as soon as he didn't get money, he said, I'm, I'm, my, my leg hurts, I can't play no more. You know, and then another, another American would do the same thing. Since these guys are experienced, you know. Yeah. And um, I didn't get the accommodation I wanted for a long time. I said, well, unless you get me my accommodation, I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna stay out that I want, you know. And I didn't get it, so I left and I joined. I came back, I think I joined Vince's team. Vince was with Hemel, Hemel Royals that year. And that was 96, 97 season, I think. Yeah, and um, yeah, some so, stories. So then, was that in, so, but you'd stayed in Israel for five years. Five years, was it? Yeah, thereabouts. It was, um, well, I was there, I played Hopal Besheva to, it was about four, I think. It was about, about four. four yes. And then when you came back and joined the Hell, yeah. you stayed here for the rest of your career? No, no, I stayed here. And then after that, I decided, an agent said, why don't you come up and you can make some good money in the lower divisions too. So I went out and played Division Two in Nakabi um, Bialik, in not far from where I I bought, uh, well, actually I bought a place later, but it's funny, it's nearby um, where I was staying. Um, and I went back and played another year there then i came back i don't know if i played for anyone else then oh well i played for billy mims i think i played for billy mims after that or it might have been vice versa i might play with billy i can't remember that time yeah but um I, I did come out and play for the leopards as well one year and billy came to oh billy came to recruit me came to one of the hemel games that's right and he saw me play there and then asked me would i be interested in going so you didn't play in any other countries aside from Israel? No. Or was no. between Israel and England? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm. And the other thing is, your CV says... Very physical game there. Yeah. yeah. Comparatively, salary-wise, could you earn more in Israel or was it the same as what you could earn in, in Yeah, the top-level players earn a lot more in Israel. Right. Yeah. But for yeah. you personally? Personally, um, I earned more in Israel. Uh, I think I signed one year with Hapol Haifa about 50,000 pounds, so that, I wasn't going to get that. Well, 28, 29, I wasn't going to get that over here. Yeah. So um, that was 
that was the move for me. I'm not. I didn't see it like it's huge money, but I thought, oh, well, that's a good. That's a good way for playing basketball. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? for real. Yeah. Because the other thing that this stuck out on your on your CV uh, was that you were pro for 24 years. Yeah, that's what the CV so, said. <laughs> so, so 1980. I don't know. I mean, I, I forget how I've added it all up, but com <laughs> compared to you know playing here and then playing in Israel. Yeah. Coming back again, playing for another season. Yeah, I would say probably around 24. Wow, yeah, that's yeah. a long career. Yeah, yeah, I had a long career. Yeah. I can still play now. Anyone <laughs> out there that wants to sign a shooter, <laughs> you think you'd be good for a few few frees a I, game? I honestly do. I'm not joking. You should come down the wire, film me there. You'll see. Latest <laughs> like London signing. Yeah, exactly. Old man Stella. Why not? Uh, that's big. Yeah. So when you um. When you look back in your career, kind of, what would you say are the highlights, the biggest things that stick out? Believe it or not, one of the biggest things, there's a couple, but I'll tell you this one first, is with Tony Gar Garbaletto, played in the Maccabea Games. In the Maccabea, you have the Olympic Games, the Commonwealth, and the next biggest games are called the Maccabea Games, which I played in Israel. Which don't exist anymore, the Maccabea no, Games. No, they, 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 oh, they do. Every four years, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. oh, yeah, they still exist. And what, what is it? We made it to the final. We beat... But what is it first before? Okay, it's, 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 it's their equivalent, the Jewish Olympics, if you like. Ah, okay. okay. Yeah, so, but um, that year they had Herb Brown coaching the American team. And it was Larry Brown's brother, and he's been assistant on NBA teams forever. They had six NCAA Division I players, and uh, they were in our group. So we had to play them at some stage, right? This now, is England we, senior men. This is uh, England. The G, it's, not, it's not the official GB. It's a GB Maccabea team. So that's okay. different than the it's actual It's like a G, select team select for this team. tournament exactly. specifically. Yeah. So, um, But run by the Federation. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And um, it, <laughs> it was unbelievable. We had to play them in the round robin. And we played them on this kibbutz, which was about 40 degrees. I mean, literally, my feet, my shoes were squelching, uh, you know. And, you know, if, if you don't wear sweatbands, your hands, it becomes like a bar of soap, the ball. I mean, they were switching pressing, full court, full court pressing, five for five, five for five, rotating. And after that, we got, we lost by about 50, I think about 55, 59 points. I mean, a lot, a lot. And they were just bragging, your pro ain't, she's talking about me, your pro ain't this, your pro ain't that, and da 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 da, -da. Why is there not okay? Well, we, we both progressed through because we're both top of the group. It's just a round robin. So we both yeah. progressed through. Yeah. So I said, we might play in them again. Wait and see. Comes around, we've got to play them in the semi-finals. Now, by then, we've all learned change your shoes at halftime, um, sweatbands, take a stack of towels, you know, which we, we're all ready, you know? And it was in an air-conditioned gym in Ramat Gun. Oh man, and um, at 39, I was talking. Let me tell you first of all what they were saying. By the swimming pool, and they said, You guys, and you got a big game tonight. These are the Americans winding up saying, You guys got a big game tonight. They thought it was the, they were just going to cruise by us. Haven't you got a big game? Oh, you should be asleep, you know. Uh, all right. I always say this saying, Don't wake up or wind up a sleeping dog, you know, they come out and bite you. So, Tony's there before the game. I said, I just want to make this little, say a little thing to the guys. I said, if we pull this off, we will never forget this and it'll be something we can share to we're old men. We'll always talk about this game. It's worth it, guys. You know, I can't do it on my own. I need everyone with me on this 
Steve Panofka, who was a former England player, a good player, was playing for us. Timmy Berkovitz, who played at London Towers. Um, that there was there was Dave Schiller. There was a, there was it was there was a mix of, of of players. Some that had some experience. Timmy and um, Steve and maybe Paul Claver had some experience at a higher level. Anyway, we had this shout against all odds, and um, you know we, it was the loudest shout. Uh, first of all, we had our hands down. I said, "Guys, I need your eyes up. Everyone, look at each other in the eyes. We gotta believe this, all right?" And everyone looking up, and against all odds, and it, oh, 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 echoing, and we ran out on that floor. It's like out of a movie. And I tell you what, I I was talking to them. I was knocking shots down. I said, "None of you can hold me tonight." And one of you on the floor, and they were trying to double team me. Everything. Thirty-nine, I knocked down on him, and it was just a one. That's one of the games I always remember. And it wasn't like I say at the highest level, but it was just the fact that it was against all odds to beat six NCAA Richmond. Herb Brown was the coach. Ask Tony Garbelletto about that game because I know that's high on his list. Um, and, uh, and then rough and ready hitting something like I had 50, 53 points, and Roger coming up to me saying that you know you just broke the. I wanted to show that I could still play. It was I came back from Israel. Like, I was going to say, because surely Rough and Ready was under-25s, right? Yeah. And under-19s. Were you under-25 at that point? No. I was <laughs> probably over. I, don't know. I was going to say. I know both the Dengs were there and Veer, and it was, there was, there was, everyone was there uh, who were names back in the day. And I'm Pierre and Fontaine, and I thought, you know what? This is a chance for them to see, to say I'm still, that can still play this game. And... Um, yeah, I couldn't have, no, I must have been well over that age. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. that's what I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I mean, people, I th- people have always said that Rough and Ready was a little bit loose on certain things, like yeah. whether people were from the North, East, West or South, it was kind of like people were, you know, it, it wasn't always the I most accurate. I just accurate. remember turning up there, seeing all these players, and I've already probably shot about three hours beforehand and feeling great and saying, right. And I mean, you know when everything's going for you, when you're in the corner deep and you shoot the ball and it scrapes the side and still goes in. I mean, everything I put up, no matter what, off the dribble, it all went in. And I was like, you know, this is hilarious. Uh, I think, I'm not sure if Nama was at that game. There was quite a few people that were at that game watching. They come up to me and they said, I've never seen a scoring performance like that. <laughs> that was in front of the in front of a packed crowd at, uh, at Brixton. More, yeah, but more importantly, it was amongst my peers, amongst the basketball, and so going back knew. to North London days. Everyone talks about North. We got a reunion, Sam. You got to go to that. It's on the fifteenth of um, June. Okay, and it'll be at Euston Road. Okay, um, and it's going to be all the old crew uh, from North London. To, yeah, we're going back. Jody John, Lee Martell, Chief. I mean, even the girls, Ruth Smith. I mean, some of the real. Street now, if it, that was the place to get street cred, yeah. I played some of my best games ever on that on that court. Um, you know, game point, blood on the line, foul, everything to stop you, and just um, that was the place to really test out your skills. That was my testing ground before I actually went into proper games. Yeah, yeah, and um, North London College, those were the days. So, so. Uh, yeah, so career highlights. Talking about the Maccabi games. Oh yeah, there was. And yeah. is there anything sticks? What about you know? Uh, um, no, we played in uh, the U- National Exhibition Centre, Birmingham. I think in one of the big games, one of the finals, and Lorenzo, who was our American guard. Who are you guard, playing for at this point? Um, Kingston. Yeah. <clears throat> um, got a finger in the eye. Had to go to the hospital. And I got a call up. All right, come on. Uh, your turn. 
and Alton, I mean, he could just hit you in, right between the numbers every time on a, with, when you're open. You know, I always say it's, it's all right when people come off screens to throw a ball out there, but it takes one second, two seconds to gather the ball, bring it up. When a guard can hit you, just perfect that you can just go straight to your shot. Uh, anyway, I played in this game, and I, I don't know what I had, 23, 25, but it was a final. And uh, I thought, yeah, and they were, they were announcing MVP. And you know, you, you know when you've played well and you're thinking, oh, Alton Bird. <laughs> and I'm thinking, not again. Bloody hell, Alton gets it every time, you know. <laughs> but he, he's a, he was a legend, I've got to say. But it was great playing alongside him. Yeah. You know, because as a shooter, I mean, Pete Jeremich, who I'm still in touch with, he was a famous player for Crystal Palace back in the day. They had Dan Lloyd and Chris, you know. But Pete used to get the ball from Alton, perfect position, and he had this beautiful stroke with the backspin on the ball, hit the bottom of the net and almost come back to him, you know. I mean, um, yeah, as a shooter, playing with Alton was unbelievable. I'm trying to think of other, other big well, games. What about playing for England? Uh, one of the things I, I noted was that, uh, so you play for the World Championship team, which is what World Championship yeah. qualifiers, I assume. Yeah. Um, um, one of the nice tournaments we went to was one out in Bangkok, funny funny place that place is <laughs> hilarious stories um but um had some had a very very good tournament back there um czechoslovakia game uh during that was one of the qualifying games um that was a that was a huge game to get us through i don't know we won that was was that well, one point on the buzzer i think mike spade hit the shot but yeah, those guys, I'm still, you know, Colin Irish, Mike Spade, Drusel, they're all some of the legends of the old game. Do you have frustrations about uh, the lack of documented history, about kind of things that you've done and your peers have done? Yeah, I wish there was YouTube was around then, you know, and there's stuff I look for, I just can't find. My, my son was you know, looking for it, I said, you're not going to find nothing on there. Yeah. And um, Do you have any of your old game tapes? I've got um, a few. I've got when we played. I played for Oldham one year. And we won the Division One championship with John Tresvant and Cleve Lewis, and I lived up in Oldham for one year. That was the year before I went to Kingston. I think it was. Um, and uh, I've got that final when we played Birmingham. It was two. It was two legs, and um, thirty-five in the first leg. I like watching that and playing that one to tower. Look, oh, the old man, look at him shooting there, you know. Um, and then well, second leg, I only had 12, but uh, we won Cleveland, John Stretz. What was the most you averaged over the course of a season? Uh, I think I've looked at some old programs somewhere and uh, I think around 20. Yeah. I think 19 or 20, yeah. Most frees you hit in a game? Ten. I've had several times ten threes. Yeah. I mean, I remember one against um, uh, what's the guard's name from uh, Syracuse? Syracuse. Oh, it come to me in a minute. Um, yeah. He. We were going back and forth. It was a brand new three, 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 and we were talking. DJ was really funny, and he had something like thirty something as well. So yeah, yeah. But yeah, several games I've had about ten threes. I remember. Bill Bezik, the England coach, coming to watch me play up at Manchester. Um, and everyone trying to wind me up. Oh, you know, you've got an England coach in there watching you, you know. 
I said, yeah, all right, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> anyway, I had seven threes in that game. I don't know if we, I can't even remember if we won that game or not, but um, it was enough to get me in the team, which, yeah. was, which was good. The uh, when you work with, if you work with younger players now on their shooting and stuff, what are the things like the common things that you see that them doing wrong, or, or kind of the advice that you I give out? I talk to them. I say shooting is a feel. Forget about, I mean, you've got to have a decent technique. You can't have an you know, elbow out there and swing it across here. and across. You've got to have consistency with the technique, but it's a feel. So when I've, like, for instance, when I'm teaching my son and he's shooting, I said, remember how that feels, Tao, the feel. Keep the feel, and, you know, and that, that's how I coach shooting. It's a feel, how it felt leaving your hand, how it felt, what you were looking at. I always look at, some coaches say the back of the rim. I always talk about the front of the rim. Look, aim for the front. We put enough arc on it, you'll be able to go in. Um, there's a lot of people disputing stuff. You ask a lot of people, they say, oh, shoot, aim at the back. Or, and it's always usually the back or the front. But mainly, yeah. a lot of coaches say the back, but I always aim for the front. But, um, yes, I feel that's the main thing. You talk to them about how it felt. What did it feel like? Go back to that feeling. That, that feeling of when it went in makes you feel good, that, that feeling. I think it, you know I, that's the way I and I and I like to coach a game like that as well. Yeah, I think players can relate to a feel. You know, if I call a timeout and I say, "How does that feel, guys? Feel good?" I said, "I'm not going to say much. I just want that same feeling when you go back in. Carry that same buzz. Don't be ego driven. Just think about that feel. Have playing together, running what you just run, and and I try to keep that same feel." I think it's very important um, that you don't try to disturb that in a timeout because some coaches call timeout unnecessary. You know, you could see a few missed shots here and there and uh, they call timeout. I mean, generally, the feel's good. Yeah. Know? The last team you coached for here was NASA, right? Was it, was it NASA yeah. or you coached for another uh, team? No, Westside. Oh, you coached Westside after yeah, that? Westside after that. Um, obviously, NASA, you won, you won three straight coaches of the year. Yeah. yeah. You took them from Division 4. I done four to Division 4, Division 3, Division 2, Division 1. And uh, got to the National Cup final in our first year. Unfortunately, we come up against very strong Reading, who Wilshire, who's now BBL player, so yeah. Yeah. played for them. And then they had two really um, high-class Spanish players that played in second division. Yeah. Um, one of our main guards got scalped by uh, Guilford. He was an American... Uh, I just remember his name. He was an American guard, played at the UEL. And we were predominantly a guard team. Yeah. Um, trap, you know, I had the matchup zone trap that we used to run. Um, anyway, once he left, we had to play Reading in the finals. We qualified for the final. Uh, so Mr. Margai had to step in, Albert. Yeah. Uh, and really didn't know the plays. He, he really had one practice with him. And, you know, you can't teach the plays and the feel of the plays in one practice. So it was difficult. So they beat us in the final that was screened i remember kids telling me they're watching it in israel but um uh but we played them again in the league we beat them both in it we beat one shot right on the buzzer this american hit down at their place right on the buzz i've got that on tape um and uh, we hit the shot and win that and run out of there and then uh, when we got them after the final at our place we, we won there so it was, it was a good year all in all i try i raised money for that team um so pay expenses really yeah when um, you talk about coming back uh to protect and obviously ideally you want to try and find a coaching gig mm. 
what sort of level are you thinking about? Is it that you want to... I want to go to the top level. I've yeah, you want to coach in the yeah, pros? Yeah, I do. I really want to go to... And you assisted London United, right? Yeah, I was with Tony. Um, oh, was uh, that with Tony, Tony at London United? I was United? with Tony at London United. Um, that was 2006-ish. Yeah. yeah. Other men's teams, I worked with Namo with the Midnight Madness. Yeah. When he, you know, he said what was one of his most memorable things was the Midnight Madness. I was winning that in um, that time when we played in Chicago. It was amazing. It was a great, great field, great group of guys. Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, with NASA and Westside. Um, men's teams other than that, right, that's it. Some junior teams. Yeah. In a way, yeah. And, you know, it, like, you know, obviously a lot of, it seems, I feel like that the more stable jobs in England when you talk about coaching is actually with the academy programs, you know. Probably. Um, yeah. Have you thought about working with younger players and, and, yeah, oh yeah, and doing no, the development stuff, or um, do you want? To, is it sort of more like chasing the pros? Yeah, no, no. I, I could work with academies and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I coached at Hackney, and obviously oh, yeah, we're eleven years national champions. I mean, I, I took on you know after Joe, Tony, Tony and Sol, and then I, I came in with Andrea. Yeah, and we won two national championships that with them so i was working with people like jarell who's now playing with the Lions. yeah and um yeah it was good um but um you know i always look up i want to go there that's where i want to go yeah and then you never know where you, i mean <laughs> look at nick nurse he was here for uh, how many years what, what a story what yeah, a story that's a story i'm determined I, I would love like next if he's ever over here for whatever reason i'd love to get him on the podcast yeah, and you should do, yeah. go deep into his because uh, it's just it's crazy i mean his, his yeah. deal's worth what, like 10 mil or something like yeah. that it's like starting Amazing, the bbl yeah. to doing that just... <laughs> from bbl days today yeah <laughs> absolutely insane mm. um so yeah we're gonna wrap up in it shortly but a couple of uh sort of quicker fire questions um if a hall of fame was started british basketball hall of fame who would be the first people that you think should be in it are you talking about British players or all, any players? Let's start with British players and then go on to uh, sort Joel, of any Joel players. Moore, Steve Bucks, uh, Peter Skance, an unspoken guy, Peter Wright, who, who Joel talked about. There was a player who never used to miss on when when we played him at Guildford. He said there was another player on that team. I don't know, he never used to miss. His name is Peter Wright. Um, but, uh, you know, you're looking at Trevor Gordon's. There originally he was born here, Martin Henlon. Um, of course, Martin Clark. Yeah, I mean, probably the, one of the best shooting forwards of all time. I think he was good enough for NBA. I mean, he's some of the European teams, top teams, he used to annihilate. I mean, six nine shooter. Um, who Carl, who would be Carl your, Tatham? Okay, who would be your uh, greatest British player of all time? Are you, well, are we going to discount naturalized, or are we going to conclude that? Because uh, uh, a lot of Americans become naturalized. Well, yeah. no, let's talk about developed through the, through the British system. Through the British system. Because that, that, for me, is a true Brit. Like, there yeah. are guys that don't even have a passport, but actually, if they came through the system here, like someone like Ed Lucas, who obviously yeah. represents the Angola national team, but actually came up through here, you know, to me, it's more British than right. a guy that... Like Ben Gordon or whatever, he's yeah. got a passport, yeah, but, exactly, but yeah. actually he's never played it. Yeah. No. Um, honorable mention: Bucks, definitely Joel. Um, I'm trying to think modern day. I think Steve Veer could play back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Veer was a good guy. Um, Peter Skance. 
I'm not picking the best, am I? I'm just giving, <laughs> giving you. Uh, yeah. Um, who who would I think the best? I would probably say. I mean, but Martin went to Boston College, but probably say Martin Clark. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so we've we've done some of you, well, we've done your career highlight, which is in the Maccabi Games. Mm. Career low light. What was the low point for you when you look back? <laughs> the game, that game, what I was talking about in in Israel, we, we we beat the American team because there was a bridge that collapsed. It was a uh, um, on on the opening ceremony, several Australians died. Wow. Um, there was a polluted moat that went around. I mean, it had chemicals in. It was a lot of people got drowned in that. That was terrible, but. We're talking strictly basketball. Yeah. Because of that, we had to play Canada the following day. We had no sleep because the adrenaline, we couldn't believe we just beat the American team. <clears throat> we were out and out favorites. And, you know, to play the final the very next day with no sleep, no rest, and then to give that kind of energy again. I mean, it was a one point game at the half, and then they went on to win whatever it was up 10 or 12. So, yeah, the very so from being up here, just dropped down the following yeah. day. Um, I think you know that was our final, really. That was that's everyone says you know that was our final. If to repeat that again would have been very difficult. Um, in uh, in England, probably I don't know, we lost to Sheffield that we, we would have won everything that year with Kingston. We won the league, won different cups, but I think it was the Nat West. I think we lost on the buzzer to Sheffield. Actually, oddly enough, I think Scans was playing for Sheffield that, and Russ Saunders. But I had the shot to win it, and it, it wiped its feet around the rim. It just rolled out. I was like, oh, I thought it was in. But um, yeah, that was probably another another moment. Was, yeah. Toughest player to guard. Well, in his prime, probably Alton, Alton Bird. What do you think separated Alton? Uh, intelligence. Yeah. Tell it, knowing what play or where to, who to go to, and getting himself out of trouble because he could go into the middle, in the middle, and people just went to watch him because he was so creative. He'll take the ball and just wrap it around. Sorry, <laughs> wrap it around here, right to the corner for a pass in the middle of no, no, nothing. And I was talking to Chris Morris. Um, uh, about him and he was saying yeah people just used to go to the palace to watch him because you know you were going to be entertained he was just so entertaining but he'd get the job done you get a W at the end of the day regardless how flamboyant most underappreciated British player most underappreciated or unrecognised for his talents or whatever or her talents probably Martin Clark yeah yeah. yeah yeah I think that is a perfect place to leave it. We're coming up to an hour and, hour and 20 minutes. So, uh, right, Sam. Sam, thanks so much for, for coming right. through. Much appreciated. And, um, I enjoyed it. Yeah, hopefully we'll see you in England uh, yeah, a lot more in the near future. So. Anyone who wants to give me a job, I'm ready to go. <laughs> uh, beyond the arc at hotmail.com. <laughs> you are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.